0: Better sleep means a better you. That's why Mattress Firm stands behind the rest assured promise. Featuring the best mattresses from America's top rated brands like the Temper breeze collection and save up to
1: $500 on premium adjustable mattress sets. Plus get a $300 instant gift with your
2: purchase good toward sleep accessories. Shop Tempur-Pedic, Sterns and Foster and more with our sleep experts today
0: to get your best sleep only at Mattress Firm. Offer valid with qualifying purchase. Restrictions apply. Valid at participating locations only. Visit MattressFirm.com for complete details.
1: Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash business growth. Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast continues to gain recognition as a great re- resource for small business owners, sales professionals, and entrepreneurs. This is because uh, wonderful people join me to have great conversations around their areas of expertise. They share that information so that the listeners, you folks, can pick what uh, you want and implement these things in your business or you know, reach out to these guests to get more information so that you can do better things. Today, uh, we are joined by uh, Philip Williams. His business education started at the family dinner table when he was about eight years old. He was raised by a barbershop and auto salvage yard owner, then climbed the corporate ladder outside the family business. He's worked in manufacturing, distribution, engineering consulting, and professional services. He's a three-time Inc. 5000 honoree after becoming the CEO who took the helm of a 17-year-old cash-strapped company and grew it at 50% a year for five straight years. That resulted in two nearly simultaneous acquisition offers from two publicly traded multinational corporations. He accomplished it all by bootstrapping the business. No outside money. He's bought and sold a couple companies and been through the highs and lows you can only experience through small business ownership. Today, he helps small business owners build profitable and well-respected companies through his consulting firm. Thanks so much for joining me today, Philip.
2: Thank you for having me. You make that sound so fun.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but was it fun?
2: <laughs> it, uh, I once had a conversation with uh, with a headhunter who was uh, spent 20 years as a fighter pilot in the Air Force, and he described being a fighter pilot in the Air Force as uh, eight hours of sitting on your butt doing nothing interspersed with um, occasional minutes of sheer terror.
1: <laughs> Is that are you relating that to your entrepreneurial
2: experience? Uh, uh, certainly to the, to the highs and lows and the swings that you go through when you're building something. And, and you know, you, you think you've got it nailed to the wall and you're super, super happy. And then something breaks loose and you have to run off and fix the next thing. And, and, uh, and then occasionally when you're sitting on your hands trying to figure out what you're going to do next, you know, it's, it's a roller coaster ride.
1: Boy, it sure is. It is not for the um, squeamish by any stretch of the imagination, right? It
2: it, it isn't. Um, and it's kind of funny because I remember way back when I was in grad school, uh, seeing a video, and and there was uh, it was a group that was at Harvard, and the the speaker said that she learned that entrepreneurs are like adolescents in their inability to assess risk. <laughs> And, and I remember that as well as the idea that uh, entrepreneurs have a, a different perspective of risk and, and then it, compared to those who choose to be uh, employed their lifelong career. And, you know, w- as entrepreneurs, we look at risk and we think, well, you know, if I control the situation, that's less risky than if I'm working for somebody else who controls it. So, it's a trade right you you get to right. you get to be the, the the person that controls it but then you also have to be the person who who answers to it so uh,
1: right i i used to say when i went into business for myself i used to say that i would rather be the victim of my own decisions than the victim of someone else's
2: absolutely absolutely and that's kind of me it, it it's very odd um uh, it, it, from my perspective of being a, a leadership person, I'm not a micromanager. I, I, I really do not like micromanaging people. And, and it's partly because I don't like being micromanaged.
1: Right. So I
2: just assume you know, that the rest of the world looks at the world the way I do, which I know is entirely incorrect. But um, <laughs> at least from a perspective of being managed, I think people like to know you know, what you want and, and show them the respect of letting them go off and, and, and do this thing. Um, so, uh, as a leader, I won't micromanage you, but I sure as heck want to have the control of the business, uh, and then therefore the control of my own destiny and my income. So I guess I'm a, a control freak when it comes to my destiny, but I'm not a control freak when it comes to leading people, if that makes any kind of sense.
1: Oh, it makes a ton of sense to me. I I'm, I'm with you on that one. I so want to surround myself with people who know what they do very well and take the, the initiative and go do it, right? I, I, I don't want to have to be on somebody. I mean, for me, the whole point of having people around you is that you don't have to be micromanaging them or on them all the time that, that they add to progress, not work. With.
2: Absolutely. Microsoft was not built by one guy. Contrary to popular uh, (laughs) (laughs) misconceptions.
1: Exactly. And there's things that
2: I really don't want to do. I know what the outcome is supposed to look and feel and smell and taste like. And as long as I get the outcome, I'm fine. But there's certain things that I don't want to do. So I'm I'm very happy to surround myself with people who find some of those things that I think are torturous. There's people out there who find those things fun, and I want to find those people and bring them in.
1: Okay, so speaking of that, however, do you find that small business owners struggle with that—that that, that they, because we tend to be control freaks, they are afraid to give up controls in certain areas?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. It is, um, and you know, this is this is a lesson that I learned from my dad. Uh, you know, his businesses tended to stay you know, in the less than 10 employee realm because he felt as though he couldn't trust somebody to help him manage those entities and if they got larger and he didn't like the aspect of managing and leading. And so he kept it, he kept his, his uh, enterprises at a size that he could actively manage. And, you know, for a lot of us, if you have more than 10 direct reports, you're going to lose your mind. So he kept it that way out of a sense of needing to be able to control it. And, um, and so that was a lesson that I got to observe and understand that if, if I was ever going to build something that was significant, I needed to be comfortable with the idea that people don't do things the way I do them. Yeah. And I needed to figure out how to give guidance to people Um, so that I could become successful on a, on a larger scale. And I meet a lot of business owners and, and part of the reason that their businesses get stuck is they haven't become comfortable with these things and they don't know how to give that trust. I mean, if you are married and you have two children and a business, you have three children. (laughs)
1: <laughs> there's just no other
2: way to describe it than that that's what it is yeah. it is it, it you gave birth to this thing i don't care if you mm-hmm. bought it or launched it yourself whatever it is it's your baby and uh you know so how do you become comfortable with the chaos and releasing the freedom and trusting people and it is a big reason that businesses get stuck because business owners uh, you know, how do you, how do you find the teachings and the learnings in order to, uh, know how to find a person who can lead the way you want the organization led in your absence? Um, and how do you get comfortable with those things? So I, I certainly feel the pain and understand, uh, where a business owner comes from when, when they're struggling with that issue.
1: Um, yeah, as do I, and, and I agree with everything that you said. It does make me wonder though, do they end up um, thinking that it's a different problem? Like, so, so, do they, so are they like pointing at things and thinking things are problems that need to be solved when it's more the symptom that they're <laughs> dealing with as opposed to the disease?
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of funny the, the you mentioned that because one of my little mantras is that um, the reason businesses fail actually doesn't have anything to do with cash flow. It has everything to do with the fact that the business owner is solving the wrong problem. <laughs> and um, that light bulb came on for me really, I want to say, in about January of 2017 because I, I was Googling you know, if you go out and you Google why do businesses fail? In the first page of Google, if you go and look at all of those articles that pop up, you're easily going to come away with a hundred different reasons. But the fact of the matter is, you can distill those hundred reasons down to concisely five or six. I mean, you can really get it down. And, and one of the fundamental things is that you solve the wrong problem. Why do you have cash flow problems? Well, you're either not selling enough, or people don't like what you're selling, or you're not managing your money properly. It's not a cash flow is the symptom; it is not the problem. And uh, you know that you have to learn how to ask. I love it. You know the the five whys. Ask why yeah. five times. Go go deep, and then you will come up with the real reason for the problem. And a lot of times. Going back to you know what we were talking about a couple minutes ago, why are you solving the wrong problem? Well, we all have natural blind spots. We all have things that we prefer to deal with, and if you know eighty percent of us possess hammers, then most problems look like nails. And um, you know if it requires a screwdriver, we're toast. And so your blind spots come from your personal preferences, and they come from. Uh, wanting to take the easy way which is the superficial answer well I have cash flow problems you know it, okay so why do you have cash flow problems it might be that you're in love with your solution but the market isn't that's how blockbuster came to an end
1: yeah
2: <laughs> you know yeah, so right. yeah you can you can easily fall into the trap of solving the wrong problem that's why that's why folks like you and I Diane ha- have have the profession that we have because we, we are, we provide, you know, that, that outside view of the business and, and um, it, you know, what makes us last is that we can do that in a safe space and a private space. It's hard when you're the leader to wake up every morning and look at your baby and say that it's ugly. Yeah. And, uh, but that's something that we have to do as business owners and, you know, knowing where your own weaknesses are helps you identify which problems you're not solving and then going out and backfilling your skill gap so that you can handle it.
1: I think that's such a valuable point. Um, and, and it takes business owners really being a, being willing to own that. Right. They don't look at it that way. And so they do take the easy route or or they don't even take the time to think deeper. Like when you know when you said, you know, ask why five times. It's absolutely right. You gotta get to so what? So what? So what? What is it that is actually at the core? Because otherwise you could solve something temporarily, but that's all it's gonna be is a temporary fix.
2: Absolutely. How many how many business owners have you met who actually sit down at the end of the week? and think about their business for 15 or 20 minutes and think about it from a, why did this happen? Or why did that happen? And then how can I fix it? Most small business owners that they don't just sit down and give themselves 15 or 20 minutes a week in solace and think through issues and then go back and reevaluate what they saw. You, you know, when you're busy, I mean, being busy, be, being busy is nothing more than being busy. Being focused and getting a few things done is a lot better than being, you know, a one arm paper hanger.
1: Yeah.
2: And so yeah, right. it, it, you have to spend the time. If you, if you would spend the time 15, 20 minutes a week just asking why on something that, that happened in your business and then figuring out how to, how to solve that problem for the long term, your business would grow immensely.
1: For sure. Uh, Yeah. This is so fascinating to me because people love to say that they're busy and that they're, they, I think it's because they like to feel like they're getting a lot done. I always look at it and say, okay, are you being productive or are you being active? Is that activity really getting you someplace or are you just, like shuffling papers around, sort of, sort of.
2: Exactly. You know,
1: concept. Yeah, that's a problem.
2: It, yeah, and um, it, and it's hard. It's hard. I, I get it. I I I understand what it means to be busy. Um, I certainly appreciate and sympathize with the problem, but you have to stop. You the the listener, you, you have to stop and and ask yourself, hey, am I really doing? things that, that moved the needle this week. Yeah. You know, and if you stop and look back and you say, you know, you know what, I actually didn't move the needle this week. I shuffled papers and then start making a commitment to simply do something that moves the needle every week. And for a lot of small business owners, one of them is processes, you know, yeah. just, just having processes that you can trust And a lot of it is based on tribal knowledge rather than an actual documented process that, that the team follows and understands. And, and, but, but if you didn't sit down and realize, Hey, you know what, I actually, I don't have any real processes. I mean, we all know what we're supposed to do and we do it, but nobody understands why and then don't understand the detail and that sort of thing. And, and uh, you know, so getting processes down that help you do important things. I'm working because
1: isn't that really dangerous to to not have those documented anywhere?
2: Oh, it's it's absolutely dangerous. It's dangerous from a lot of different perspectives. Um, you know, if, if let's say you're a, a a small business owner and you have nine or ten employees, a lot of your functions at that point in time are still handled by. Quite often, there's one person who understands this key aspect, and they understand uh-huh. the. The, the tricky steps and that sort of thing and the places where you know, the gotchas are hidden and they do it. Well, if that person comes down with appendicitis and they're out of your business for a week or two yeah. or three, what happens with that process? Well, if you don't have anything written, you could be toast. Yeah. And uh, you know, so you have that problem. The other problem that you have is what happens when, you, when your business grows 10% and you need to add a person? How do you train the next person? A lot of times we do it with tribal knowledge. Well, we've all played telephone, we've all seen the examples a million times, and by the time you are three or four people are removed from the person who originally developed the process, if it's not written, you're playing telephone with your processes. And where that gets you is that steps start getting skipped. And when you start skipping steps, Initially, you think, well, I skipped it once a few weeks ago and nothing bad happened, so I'm okay. And then you get crunched for time and you decide, well, a few weeks ago when I skipped it, nothing bad happened, so I'm going to go ahead and skip it again. And next thing you know, you skip it three times and that's your pattern. And then six months down the road, somebody walks into your offices and says, hey, boss, uh, I got some bad news you know 6 months ago we kind of started skipping this step and you know nothing was going wrong and da 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 da, da. and today i figured out why that step was so important oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's when you wake up to a quality problem yeah you know uh so yeah having having processes if you if you just documented one process a month in your business for 12 months i guarantee you, you'd be so far ahead of the competition and the other small business owners around you it wouldn't even be funny. 12 key processes inside most small businesses is a night and day difference.
1: Oh, that's interesting. You know, um, so this is a subject that comes up a lot with, with a lot of small business owners. And the thing that I hear from them often is, uh, you know, I just, it's, it's two things. One is, I just do it automatically. I know it so well that I can't even sit down and think, okay, how am I actually doing this thing? And the other one is, I don't really have time to stop and, and document as I'm going. And what I always say to them is, turn on your the recorder on your phone and say all the steps that you're taking as you're taking them, and then just have someone transcribe it. That, that's, that's the process.
2: Yeah, that's actually a, a great process. I've written a lot of blog posts in my car because I turn on my phone, I turn on the voice recorder, <laughs> and I just... Uh, Go through, you know, a a mental word vomit into my phone, and then go back and record it later. Because the fact of the matter is, you know, when you're in your shower or your car, those are your greatest brainstorms. But there's never a piece of paper and a pencil nearby.
1: (laughs) It it is so true. I I know. I know. For for a while, I was using a scuba diver's board because in the shower, because that would happen. Yeah. And I I would think I have to write this somewhere, and so I would write it there, and then just grab the board.
2: And the fact of the matter is you cannot control those moments when you have those epiphanies. Yeah. You know, they happen, and they always happen. You know, the car is a great place where uh, I I bet you, you know, A, people listen to the show. B, they have epiphanies. And, you know, making making it easy to have a place to write those down is super important. Uh But going back to the first part of your statement about, well, I just know what to do. So I just do it automatically. I don't have time to either write it down or I don't have time to teach somebody. That is, um, if every business owner finished that that statement with, and this is why I can't take a vacation. (laughs) I bet you that would motivate them to figure out how to do this because Um, if you can't take a three day weekend, which means a Friday or a Monday off without coming back to a host of problems, I bet you, you also don't have documented processes. Yeah. And if you can't, if you can't take a vacation, you're just, you're, you're never going to be able to enjoy, you know, what it means to have a really successful business. And there's a, there's a little process that, that I've developed for my clients when it comes to getting their processes written down. And it's really a very simple process. There's a lot of places in your business where you probably have an empty wall or a whiteboard or you can put a whiteboard up or whatever. And I I will encourage uh, my business owners to bring your team together that is involved in whatever process you've discovered is giving you a lot of pain. And have a 20 or 25 minute brainstorming session about what this process is supposed to look like. There's how you do it today and there's how you could do it better. So get it, get it first, you know, spend 20 or 25 minutes, no more cap it, hard stop, whatever your stomach is, you know, 20 or 25 minutes, however much you can hard stop. Let's say it's 20 minutes. And get that thing written down on little yellow stickies and then leave it right there for two or three weeks with some stickies and a Sharpie. And encourage people to take five minutes here or there during the day and just stand there and read the process. And and when they come up with something that is a question or it's a step, they can write out a sticky and rearrange the stickies uh, so that the process starts to flow. Two or three weeks later, reconvene your team and read through the stickies and get them organized. Now you've got your process and then pick somebody to transcribe them. And I it love is, that. it's that simple. It, and it doesn't have to be this chewing on cardboard process to get your processes written down and then go back and, and after it's transcribed, come back and have a training. Go, okay guys, this is how we're going to do it. and, and, you know, perfect is the enemy of good enough. So just get it good enough. And mostly it's about getting it the way you do it with maybe a few tweaks on how we could slightly do it better. And then off of that, you're going to discover, Hey, you know what? There's this other process that plugs into this one. And, and that's partly why this process doesn't work very well. And you, you just rank them. You go, okay guys, which one are we going to attack next? If you do this, Every three or four weeks, at the end of the year, you're going to have 12 to 15 processes documented that everybody agrees on and it's trained. And then when you start a new employee, they have something that they can refer back to and they can ask why and what and, and really start to understand. And then that eliminates, you know, you have to hold people accountable. When you train somebody, you got to train them to the written document because we as a team agreed that this is how we're going to do this. Right. And then things don't get left off accidentally through tribal knowledge and, you know, dancing around the fire and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, one of the things I like most about that is doing it as a team, not doing it in isolation. The owner not saying, I have to figure this out, or the person who does the function. It's getting everybody together because you get those insights into what works and ideas and questions. And it's
2: Yeah, and initially, the first time you do it, it's going to be a little bit painful, right? You're going to come yeah. up, you know, people are going to be a little agitated about, well, you know, it doesn't work that way, or blah, blah, blah. And you you got to try to remember to tell everybody, hey, look, let's not get hung up on, uh, on the negative. The reason that we're here is because we have a point of friction about this process. We're talking about this process today because three of you have been in my office in the last week complaining about it. And so we. it's agreed that it's broken and it's agreed that we need to find a way to fix it. And so that's the purpose of these workout sessions is to figure out what's broken. And your team will embrace this. They will, if you will invite them to participate with you and get this stuff written down and documented, they're going to love it. They're going to love it. And by the time you've done the third one, and and it will pick up speed, and it will pick up momentum, and uh, you'll and undoubtedly, it's, it's it's always very cool. Uh, you'll have somebody who just loves transcribing this stuff because they want to be the person who knows how everything in the company works. And so they're going to always volunteer to like get the final product written down. And then you're going to have somebody who's just like, their brain is just wired for process, right? Yeah. You're going to have that guy who's always thinking about it. I mean, you'll have the people to think about why something belongs on the first shelf instead of the third shelf because Joanne is only five foot two and she can't reach that top one, you know? And I mean, it, it, it's just that you're going to have these people that, that their natural talents will surface throughout all of this and you're going to be able to see it and they're going to embrace it and they're going to participate. But you got to get through the first one or two the first one is always the most uncomfortable because that's usually the, the, I always suggest start with the one that's giving you the most pain right now, because that's really what you got to get fixed. And then once your team learns how to work it out without poking each other in the eye, (laughs) uh, then, then you'll, you'll move and you'll flow.
1: Right. Right. Then it becomes, um, more of a, something that's, a fun sort of challenge as opposed to something that's really awful
2: and and you know what throw out a little incentive hey guys every time we get one of these done i'm buying a couple of pizzas and we're gonna you know we're gonna have pizza and and and, and coke and celebrate you know yeah um or i'm bringing starbucks in for everybody you know whatever it is that that culturally works for your team uh, you know a little celebration because these are little tiny milestones right these are how you build momentum is really yeah these little milestones in, and these are important things.
1: And I think looking at it that way is really valuable to, to not feel like you have to make wholesale change because that really doesn't work but picking away at these things one at a time it the process gets easier once you've done it once or twice and you get into a, a pattern of how these things work and um, and then it gives everyone a I would think a different way of looking at things moving forward. So, you know, do you find that that then everyone is sort of in a, um, in a mindset of, is there a better way?
2: That's, that's actually what starts happening along about the third or fourth one. When people are looking back and they're going, Hey, you know what, remember that other step in, in the first process that we did, it says we do this and now we're kind of over here and we're, you know, because your company is a bunch of interlinked processes and people, right? And, and this kind of, this step that we're talking about right now in this process kind of runs counter to what we're talking about on number one. And you get into these flows where people really start to think about how, hey, when, when Joe does his step, if he doesn't do it in a certain way and deliver a certain output, then you know Juanita can't do her step. Yeah, and it really starts to get people thinking, and you're going to see, you know, it's it's like with, you know, when you were, you know, in high school, there were people like sit in the front of the room, there are people like sit in the back of the room. You're going to start to see those things come out on your team. You're going to start to see the people who are outspoken and confident, and it's also a great way to figure out who your leaders are, and it's a great way to figure out who thinks about their team. And who thinks about, hey, that doesn't work for me Um, because there's a difference between that doesn't work for me and then that breaks out into that doesn't work for me because I can't give the person who takes the next piece the right thing if this doesn't come to me in this way. And then there's that doesn't work for me because I don't want to do it that way.
1: Yeah, right.
2: You know, so you really and you start to, you start to learn a lot about the personality profile in your team. And it's a really great cultural exercise. And, and, you know, as you're saying, these little, little, these little steps, imagine a year from now, your company having 12 to 15 documented processes and you give a place for your leaders to kind of bubble to the top. Uh, And you give a way for everybody to kind of express and show their natural talents because nobody wants to come to work to do a bad job. And nobody really wants to come to work to be unengaged. At least that's the the crazy way that Phil looks at the world. I assume that everybody comes to work and they want to participate and they want to make things better. And it, it's a, it it serves as a vehicle for you to listen to your team because I guarantee you they have ideas all day long and if you'll give them a platform to release those ideas and then it goes back to how we opened our conversation which is you have to be okay with letting some people run with some things
1: yeah and and for me it's it's not that they're going to do it the same way you do they're probably not but the question is what is the result that you're looking for not the process but the result absolutely right? And then you got to let people do it their way because that's how they're going to be most successful, which in turn is going to free you up to be most successful.
2: And the best way to delegate when, when you're thinking about that is let, let's say you have a process and for just for demonstration purposes, let's say it's A through Z, right? Okay. Well, if you're concerned about what's happening at step D or the outcome of step D and the outcome of step O, then when you have the delegation conversation with employee number seven and you're saying, Hey, you know, Mike, uh, I noticed you're super good at this and I'd love it if you'd take over this. Um, and I want to give you the opportunity to shine on this. Here's the outcome I would like to have at the end. And at step D I'm really kind of concerned about this. And so when you, get front, when you get to D, could you check in with me? Kind of here's what I'm looking for and looking at and concerned about. And then also at step O, uh, I kind of see a possibility where maybe this could happen or that could happen. Uh, and I'm a little bit worried about X, Y, Z or whatever, you know, this other thing over here. So those are my concerns along the way. So if you could check in with me at D. And tell me what's going on because these are the things I'm worried about. And check in with me at O because these are the things I'm worried about. And this is what I'm thinking. But at the end, Z, this is the outcome I'm looking for. If you delegate in that way, then what that gives you is Mike doesn't go off and go A through Z and come back to you at Z. And you go, well, wait a minute. Back here at D, you know, why did you do it this way? That's a great way for you to shut Mike down. Yep. What Mike just learned was, well, what did you tell me to go do it for if you were worried about how it was going to happen? Why did not you just do it yourself?
1: Exactly.
2: So you've got to, you've got to tell everybody. You, you've got to tell people, you know, just like we said, pull out your cell phone and just word vomit. When you're delegating, it's almost like that. You've got to share your concerns, your thoughts at different steps. And then you say to them, look, I don't care what you do between E and N. But at, oh, we have to talk. I don't care. I know you're going to zigzag. And to give you an idea, I I describe it like this. When a new submarine is being commissioned in the United States Navy, uh, one of the things that we do is we evaluate the sound signature for that ship. That ship is given a confined operating area. And it is told, the commanding officer of that ship is told, you need to enter from let's say the eastern wall of the box between you know, midnight and 100 hours and you need to exit the western wall of this box 24 hours later. We don't care what you do when you're in the box but you gotta enter the box during this period this side and you have to exit this side of the box during this period. Whatever you do in between is up to you. You're free to do whatever you want. Okay. That's how you delegate. Yeah. If you have concerns, express those ahead of time. Don't let somebody run off and do 10 steps when you wanted to know what's happening four steps in. And don't be upset with them if they don't come back to you and tell you what's going on if you didn't ask for feedback.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, this is so great because I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, whoa, wait, you mean you communicate with people? You mean you (laughs) tell them everything? (laughs) Wait a second.
2: You have to. They don't read minds and you don't
1: either. (laughs) Right. Right. And and set them up for success, right? Communicate, I think sometimes we have to over-communicate because we do this thing where we assume everybody knows. We assume everybody knows the goal, we assume everybody knows where the potential hiccups could be, so we assume they're gonna to come to us. It is so bad to do that. Just do yourself a favor and make sure that you're saying what you're thinking so there are no uh, landmines that really then you're creating.
2: It, it, I, I agree with you there. Every time I've been bitten, it's because I failed to over-communicate. Yeah. Every time, you know, I can always, and and so when you find problems in your business, one of the things you need to do is say, okay, what's my responsibility? What's my accountability on this? And you need to own it. And you don't just need to own it to yourself. You need to own it to the employee who's frustrated because they feel like they let you down or because you didn't tell them that you wanted something. You got to own it to them. Yeah. And yeah. if you can do that, th- what that creates for you is amazing. Because if they know that you know that you're human, they're going to be okay with that, and they're going to sure. respect you boatloads more. But if you, like you say, over communicate that, it, write that down on a yellow sticky and stick that on your on the face of your computer at the office. <laughs> over communicate that is yeah. so key to how you do things. And you do have to, you know, sometimes you, you might feel like you're dragging the dead horse through the street when you're trying to make sure that people understand why you want what you want, but that's okay. Yeah. That's okay.
1: Yeah. Right. Cause you don't want them saying, well, you never told me that. Right.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And, and, yeah. and I have to take a quick sponsor break, but one of the things that I think is interesting about When you said, um, when people realize that you're human, because you're apologizing, the the dirty little secret is they already know you're human. They want to know that you know that you're human. Bingo. Yeah. All right, I got to take a quick sponsor break. Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast. is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from, and you can listen to them on any device, including whatever you're hearing us on right now. And if you sign up at our link, which is audibletrial.com slash you get one free audiobook and a one-month trial of the service. Some examples of books you can listen to on audible.com are Transform Your Company by Alex Vorobiev and The Irresistible Consultant's Guide to Winning Clients by David A. Field. So visit Audibletrial.com/slash businessgrowth, explore the books that are of interest to you, and receive one free audiobook when you sign up for the trial. Today we're speaking with Philip Williams about building your business. Now, we were just talking about overcommunicating and things like that. Are there other I'll call them self-inflicted uh, problems that business owners can avoid?
2: I think the the biggest one is not taking advantage of the team that you have, Um, and then also not understanding how your team is either helping you or preventing you from getting somewhere. Um, One of my favorite ones is the the notion of um, protected employees or irreplaceable employees. And, and where we get into that one is, uh, Steve Jobs has a quote that, that I love, and it's it's this. When you get a core group of about 10 people who are really passionate about something, that group becomes self-policing.
1: Oh.
2: And that Good. works. Yeah, that works for you and against you. Okay? Okay. It speaks entirely to group norms and and culture. A lot of business owners in the beginning, and I know how this happens because I've seen it happen a hundred times. In the beginning, when you get really busy, your first couple of hires tend to be just anybody who you can get to show up and fill in and take over this task.
1: Yeah.
2: And then what happens is you get, you, you, you accidentally build this group of people who um, have helped you get it this far. And then you start talking yourself into this idea that, you know, the second person that you ever hired is irreplaceable. They know, you know, so much that you just can't, you, you can't imagine doing without them. But that person may not actually be the best person for that role.
1: Oh.
2: And I get it, you know, a lot of small business owners, again, it goes back to the family idea, right? You know,
1: yeah.
2: my business is my third child. If I have two at home, I've got a third one. And my employees are by extension part of my family and I love them. I had a conversation with, with a business owner about four years ago who had a bookkeeper and he needed to hire uh, an operations manager, and we were talking about the job description. The business owner himself wanted to be in, you know, the VP of Sales role. That's really where he wanted to be. And that's another thing: is that just because you're the business owner doesn't mean you have to be the CEO.
1: Oh, that's that, a great point. Okay, right.
2: that 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 may not actually be your best place. Matter of fact, when I became a CEO, the business owner. We moved him to the chief technology officer spot. That was his. That was his personal playground. That was what he loved and wanted to do. And he didn't want to be the CEO. (laughs) (laughs) And and so, but going back to this idea of protected employees, when we wrote down this job description for this operations manager that we were going to go out and hire, and we said, you know, we started, okay, so you know, in this market, this is what a person who's going to come into a company this size is going to be expect to be paid. Here's their qualifications. And we got to the part about what they expect to be paid. He said he couldn't do it. And I said, well, why can't you do it? Is it, is it a financial issue? You know, what's going on? You know, if you not told me the whole story and he says, well, my bookkeeper makes more or, or makes less than that amount. So my new operations manager who's been with me one day would be making more than my bookkeeper who's been with me for 12 years. Ooh, yeah. And I said to him, I said, well, let me ask you something. Can your bookkeeper run operations? No. Can, does your bookkeeper own part of the business? No. Can your bookkeeper grow into a CFO role? Well, probably not. My bookkeeper is School of Hard Knocks, doesn't have a CPA or an accounting degree. Uh, So I said, so you have a person in a role who's definitely overpaid by what you're telling me. They can't help the business grow. They don't own part of the business. And you're letting them de facto decide the future of your company right now. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't want them to quit. I said, well, you need to have a conversation, (laughs) you know? And so we, we get into this, Oh my goodness, this employee is irreplaceable place. And I get it. I love them, you know, but the honest conversation that you need to have with an employee that comes into your business. And this, this, this goes back to, do you have a vision for your business? And initially, you may have a vision that your company is going to be 10 people. And then when you get to 10, maybe your vision is it's going to be a 50-person company. Now you have to have the hard thought about, okay, is the person in each of these roles the best person for the role? And, you know, can they grow into the newer role? And not everybody can. And here's the other thing. Not everybody wants to. You may have somebody who's a bookkeeper. Maybe they don't actually want to be the CFO because they have an idea of what that means and they don't want that stress. Great. At some point in time, you have to have an honest conversation. You have to say, you know, hey, Fred, I'm taking this company to 50 people and that means that my bookkeeper role is going to become a controller. And my controller is going to have an MBA and a CPA. You have your accounting degree is that something that you know do you want to grow further and it's an honest conversation again it's just being open and telling people where you're going and why you're going there and it's much better to have that the earlier you have the conversation the less chance you have of losing that person you know you might be four years away from actually having a controller You know, you're not going to evolve instantly. You didn't start your business with a full-time accountant on staff. You started your business doing your books at your kitchen table. And then you brought on a part-time bookkeeper and then you brought on a full-time bookkeeper and it grows that way, right? So the sooner you have that conversation, the easier it is to have because they may say, you know what, boss, I can totally – see that this business is going to go there. And I don't want that. I, I, I don't want the stress or whatever. So when you get ready to hire that person, I'd be glad to be that person's right-hand man. Maybe, maybe that's their answer. But if you go along talking to this person who's a bookkeeper and you keep telling them, dude, you're going to be my CFO one day, but they don't have the qualifications. And then all of a sudden you have to backtrack on that. Yeah. That's where it gets difficult. And you may have to backtrack on that because your choice is grow my business or lose this person. And you don't want to lose a valuable employee who's been with you a long time. You need the historical knowledge that exists in your business. But if you talk yourself in, uh, have you ever heard of Eric Thomas?
1: Um, I don't think so.
2: Yeah. He's, his, his, I think his username on, on YouTube is the Hip Hop Preacher. The guy is fabulous. Just earned his PhD a little while back. He's a motivational speaker, mostly in the um, underprivileged inner city youth market and in professional sports teams. And he has this phrase, you can't talk your way out of something that you behaved your way into.
1: <laughs> I love that.
2: <laughs> so if you're afraid of losing an, a key employee, Uh, or somebody that you think is a key employee, that's because of what you've done. Yeah, It's because of the words you've spoken. It's because of the way you've behaved. And you're going to have to behave your way out of that situation, which means it starts with having that hard conversation that you don't want to have. But if you have that conversation a year before you need to make the move and you telegraph it, it's a lot easier to have that conversation. It doesn't have to be painful. You can say to this person, hey, look, you know, in about two years, I'm thinking we're probably gonna be big enough that this role is gonna grow into this. And then you can give that person the option. Do they wanna try to grow into it? Or are they thinking, you know what, I'd rather just carve out this little tiny piece here. And you can say, you know what, that's great because I actually kind of see it working that way too.
1: Yeah.
2: And then you guys can be adults and have the conversation and you don't have to lose the person. But this concept of not wanting to have disciplinary conversations or not wanting to tell people, hey, look, your role is going to change. That's how you get into these these spots where you have these employees that are imaginarily irreplaceable. I mean, even when I was the CEO, I wasn't irreplaceable. You could find somebody to do my job. Heck, in the Fortune 500, we replace CEOs all the time. So exactly. there's no reason to think that the CEO of a 35 or 40 person company couldn't be replaced. And right. so therefore there's no reason to think that a bookkeeper couldn't be replaced.
1: And in the, the circumstances that, that you are talking about, it's not personal. It's not a, a negative. It's not like you're having a negative conversation with them about them. You're talking about where the company's going. And sometimes that change, you know, the, the resources that you currently have aren't going to be sufficient for that sort of growth. And and I would think people prefer honesty to, um, to all of a sudden one day waking up and not being happy and having things expected of them that they didn't realize they were going to and didn't sign on for.
2: Yep, it goes, yeah. you gotta telegraph your moves you got to yeah. telegraph your moves. You know, like we've been talking about, your team isn't mind readers. You're not a mind reader. You know, you like to think that you know what your employee wants, but you might find out that what they want is a little or piece of the the puzzle than, yeah. than where you're going. Um, and you're not actually treating them any differently than you treated yourself. I mean, think about it. When you founded your company, let's say you own a painting company. You painted during the day and you sent your invoices out at night. And the first thing that you did was you carved your role out and you said, you know what? I'm better at uh, painting than I am at bookkeeping, so I'm going to go get myself a bookkeeper. Well, you carved out part of your role as the business grew. Guess what? It's going to happen to everybody who works for you. So you need to carve out their roles too. And you need to. it's okay to have those conversations early and say, hey, look, as we grow, roles are going to change. And talk about that often. Yeah. The other thing that that relates back to that Steve Jobs quote is, you know, the team becomes self-policing. The culture yeah. that you build. In the beginning, I promise you, you're not thinking too much about culture in the first two or three hires. It's just the kind of the the law of averages says you won't be thinking about it. You're looking for somebody that you can, yeah, I can get along with this guy, and he can do this step. And that's what I need right now, and so that's where I'm going. And next thing you know, you got three or four of those guys. Well, guess what? You and those three or four people, that's a culture. Huh? What's the group norm inside that culture? Because they're going to self-police. And the next person that you add in, they're going to make sure that that person lives up to the group norm. And if the group norm is full of passive-aggressive behavior and doing the job halfway, then guess what? you bring in somebody who excels and they're gonna quickly correct that person and make sure that person doesn't excel too often. Right. But if the group norm is, we all go above and beyond for each other, then the next person that you add in, they're gonna make sure that that person comes along for that ride. So what ride is it that you're signing everybody up to? And that goes back to your culture. So thinking about your culture early on, and being willing to have those open conversations with people. I know that these things are, you know, for a lot of folks, they're like, these conversations are really far, you know, past, you know, they feel like they're underwater when they're, when they're hearing us talk about this. And the first time it becomes an issue is, you know, you start getting around seven or eight employees and now you have to have somebody help you supervise that group. And that's when you start thinking about what's going on. But these are conversations that you want to have early on. And, and, and it's one of those things where you, you, you kind of step on your toes because you start thinking, oh, I can't live without this employee. They know so much and they've been with me so long. and, and But you're not thinking about the culture that you need to have to get the business to, say, 20 people from 7, 8, 10.
1: So, yeah, I, 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 it's so, um, I'm so glad we're having this conversation because I think people, you know, one of the things that I hear you saying is when you start your business, you start your business. And then as it's growing, these things happen as a matter of course, they happen naturally. They're not necessarily a thought or or an intention, but they are there. Mm -hmm. And so you have to own it. You have to say, okay, this is where we are now. Is this where we need to be? Is this the culture we need to have? Is this? contributing or detracting from where I want to go and then make sure that you're communicating that early and often and and holding people accountable to it not letting them not feeling like well I let it go this long I guess I'm stuck with this
2: yep And you've probably experienced this too, Diane, you go into a a company, you're, you're working with a client brand new and you go in and you're meeting their team and, and maybe you interview several of their employees. And how often do you find that one of the things that those employees want is accountability? Yeah. (laughs) And here we are, we're like, we're, we're the leader. And we're so afraid that these seven or eight people that are, that are working for us, that they're going to leave if you hold somebody accountable. But yet when they meet with you, Diane, they're like, Gosh, I wish there was some accountability around here.
1: Exactly. And, and clarity.
2: Yeah, it is. Yeah, and it is it's, it's okay. You know, people, people have standards. And they want to be a part of something. And they want to be a part of something that's good and productive and and, and does things well. And, and you know, they, they love you, their leader. And, and, you know, it's okay to hold them accountable. It's okay to say, you know what, Joe, I know you've been with me. You're employee number one. Uh, you've been with me forever, but we got to change the way that you're taking care of this piece of the, of the puzzle. And it's got to start being done this way. And it's okay to have accountability up and down the chain. You have to first be accountable to your team because don't don't expect them to drink Kool-Aid that you're not drinking.
1: No question. And remember that, you know, before we were talking about they know that you're human they want to know that you know that you're human they also see what you're doing and they know what is they have a compass and they know what is happening that, that is right and and wrong and they know when people are taking advantage of the system or or really gaming the system and what they're looking for from their leader is that the leader is in, making people accountable individually not doing that weird group discipline thing that just drives me out of my mind so no one has to take responsibility for their behavior but but you know if you think about your best people and if you want to keep them then make sure that your not so best people are being held responsible for the things they're doing that are not great
2: yeah cuz if, if if you don't do it it's just going to keep going like it is and then that's when you fall into the trap of geez, I don't think I could manage this business at 30 people because I don't like the way it is at eight people. Yeah. And it goes back to, you know, when you point that one finger at somebody else, you got three pointing back at you.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And if you lose good people and you haven't documented processes and they have all that knowledge in their head, you are really going to be hurting.
2: Yep. It's, uh, There is an easy way to climb the hill.
1: Yeah. (laughs) No, there's a hard way.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, but like you were saying a minute ago, Diane, wherever you are in your journey, you know, at five people, 20 people, whatever, wherever you is, or wherever you is, wherever you are is okay. Yeah. It's, it's not bad. It's not wrong. It's just what it is. And uh, you know, that's why when I tell people, look, there's no one size fits all solution to every problem because where you are is a different place than y- you. You may have two or three friends who own businesses and I guarantee you for all the rose colored glasses that they tell you about how everything is going and it's going wonderfully. It's not. Yeah. No business has all of the plates spinning perfectly at the same time. There's usually one that's about ready to fall off of the stick. Yeah. It's okay. Don't. Don't feel bad about where you are. Just own it. Yeah. And then and then figure out what you got to do to fix it, and yeah. and figure out what you got to learn. Uh, that's the other thing, you know. Being an entrepreneur is a lifelong commitment to learning. Yes. And I can tell you, I promise you, you know, all the sharks on Shark Tank—they're learning stuff every day. Uh, heck, Michael Dell, when when Dell uh, was you know, 500 people, they hired a COO to run the business so he could learn how to be a CEO. Wow. A lot of people don't know that. It's okay. You're going to be learning things. Don't be upset with yourself. Don't feel like everybody knows it all because they don't. Right. You know, and I tell, I tell my clients, look, we're not going to be together forever. I'm not going to be your business coach for 10 years.
1: Yeah. We're
2: going to do business together for two or three years and then you're going to go find somebody else because you need somebody else to look at your business from a different perspective. I'm not yeah. the only fish in the sea when it comes to how you look at your business. And I think
1: that's excellent. Yeah.
2: And, and it's helpful to get different perspectives and it's helpful to keep learning. So uh, uh, carve out 15, 20 minutes a week to look at your business and think about things, you know, did things intentionally go the way you wanted to and what's one thing that you'd like to fix? Carve out a little bit of time each month uh, to get a procedure written down and start thinking about consciously, you know, what's going on with my culture? Is this the way I want it to go? And am I having the conversations that I need to have with my team? Leading is a lot more about talking and interacting with your team than it is about barking orders.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah. Wow. I, I got to tell you, I, I so love this conversation. I appreciate you coming on here and, and having this exchange with me. It is so valuable to uh, the small business owners out there and the department leaders. It's not even just, just the owners. It's anybody who's in a leadership position who wants to take their, their department or their company from where it is to the next step.
2: It's, yeah, it, the thing that I guess I get frustrated about is I, I hear, you know, you talked about earlier about being busy and being productive. Are you giving yourself the chance to lead? Yeah. You, you and, and by that, I mean, are you taking the time? You know, there's a lot of little things that, that could get done in your business, but honestly, they probably haven't been done in a little while. Are you giving yourself time to sit and think about your business? Are you giving yourself time to go and talk to your team and just spend time with them? You know, Gary Vaynerchuk, it's, it's really interesting. He talks about how attention is the new currency.
1: Uh Uh-huh. Yeah.
2: Your team wants your attention and they want that attention in terms of time, your time talking with them. They want to know what's on your mind and they want to hear They want to feel that you listen to them and you might think of it as standing there and shooting the breeze, but let me tell you something, building those relationships with people and understanding what makes them tick and spending time with them and spending time with them thinking about why is this process working the way it's working or not working the way it's not working, having those conversations. Some of the best time that I ever spent with my team had absolutely nothing to do with pens and papers and markers and, and whiteboards And it just had to do with talking to them about what's going on in their world, Uh, you know, mostly in their work world, and a little bit in their personal life, but just talking with them and understanding, you know, it's that old management by walking around, just spend a little bit of time with them because that is a massive currency.
1: It's huge. It is huge. And it doesn't cost anything. And, and the ROI is remarkable.
2: Oh, you, you almost can't quantify the ROI. Yeah. I, yep. uh, I, I, I don't even know how to put a dollar value on it. It, it is, no. I guarantee you that when, when Gary Vaynerchuk walks around his company and he's talking to his employees, they're like, Hey, Gary Vaynerchuk just spent 15 minutes with me today. Like, 15 minutes, <laughs> like do you, do you realize that that guy is on a plane at midnight talking on his phone to, to somebody, you know, recording a video and he spent 15 minutes with me today. Exactly. If you spend 15 minutes with somebody talking about a process that's just really, you know, a burr in their saddle, they're going to, they're going to love you. They're going to yeah. love you and they're, and it's going to make them think and it's going to help them care. And, you know, it, it's worth, it's worth a fortune.
1: It is. Your company's going to be better for it and everyone in it. And then it'll be attractive to people who are looking for a place to contribute that you know, where they feel like they're appreciated,
2: yeah. Because the conversation that your employees have when we go back to talking about what's the culture like, when you yeah. onboard somebody, you don't have to worry about what's that first conversation like in the lunchroom when you're not around, for because sure. you know that your team knows that the conversation is we love working here. You know, Diane is always talking to us about what's going on in her mind and what's going on in our our jobs and she cares and she pays attention and she makes sure that she shares the wealth and she shares what's going on and she takes a genuine interest in how we do things. And that's why I love it here. Cause I've never had a boss who's paid so much attention to me. Yeah. Holy crap. That's a different conversation. That's no so doubt. much different than, Oh, so you're the new guy, huh?
1: Yeah. <laughs> a
2: week. You'll see. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, Oh my gosh it's so different yeah yeah it's it, it, you don't have to worry about it you know if for those of you who are out there and you're like I can't see this thing growing to 30 people heck as it is I have to replace two people every month anyway well if you're having to replace two people a month you might want to think about how it is that you're yeah. relating to your folks
1: yeah yeah for sure wow oh my gosh Thank you so much. Will you tell the listeners how they can find you and, you know, what you got going on?
2: Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much first for having me on, Diana. I I always love these conversations. You know, they free flow and they're just so cool. But the three best places to find me are my website, which is askphilipwilliams.com. And my mom spelled Philip with one L. So that's how it's spelled on my website. Uh, Next one is Twitter. I'm at askphilipw. And then uh, another great place is over on LinkedIn. Reach out, connect with me over there. Uh, I'm philip-williams, Hyphen or dash, depending on, you know, how you call it. And on my website, you will find a free resources page. Uh, among the things that are on there, my book, Walk the Talk, you can download that thing for free. Uh, there's strategic planning. There's all kinds of stuff, free resources on there. You can go and look at that. And, uh, yeah, those are the best free places to find me. Um, what I got going on right now is uh, I got a book that I'm looking to, to publish here in the fall called Momentum Goals. And cool. if you're connected with me, you'll be seeing that come out. And it has a lot to do with you know, a lot of things that we just talked about, but um, it's sort of my anti-corporate approach to setting goals because the business that I grew at the rate that I grew at that Diane was talking about when she introduced me. Believe it or not, I didn't actually give anybody a specific individual goal for their role for like the first two and a half years that I was the CEO. Wow. <laughs> Nobody had a written goal. It's the craziest thing in the world, but we had a goal that we talked about as a company. And so that's what that book is going to be about. And, mm-hmm. and it kind of answers that question, how do you do that? It's, it's my, my poke in the eye of the corporate approach to setting right. goals. That's because right. as a small business owner, you can't manage the overhead that comes along with a, uh, a management by objective system anyway and and I know it because I've been there and done that, but I have a, a simple approach, and so that'll be coming out in the fall. Oh,
1: cool. Oh, that's so great. So make sure that you let me know um, you know, and I'll and I'm happy to promote it and
2: um, oh, that'd be awesome.
1: you know yeah, 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 yeah. Happy to do it because this is this is really valuable and that'll keep that conversation going. so
2: Awesome, Yay. I'd love to.
1: Cool. all right, good. So and I want to thank the listeners. I think you guys got an awful lot of great information on today's podcast. Um, and I'd like to thank our sponsor uh, to get your free trial of audible.com and a free audiobook when you sign up for that trial, go to audibletrial.com/businessGrowth. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day.